Well, friends, uh, today we continue in our summer-long series on the Apostles' Creed called We Believe, and the goal of this is to grow in faith and faithfulness uh, together along with uh, the church across the world and throughout the ages. We've been working kind of clause by clause through, and uh, we finally get into the third movement of this triune creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite Leslie to read our scripture from Colossians before we dive in. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you are called in one body. And be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Oh, these are breathless times. Maybe your chest has felt shallow as you've struggle to keep up with the newest news, most of it not too good and what it might require of you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. These past months have been grief on top of grief until it feels too heavy. It feels sometimes as if you can't breathe. If, <clears throat> if you can, the breaths that you and I can take tend to be panicked, lonely, unyielding of the sort of relief and oxygen that we want, that makes us feel filled and inspired at rest. These are breathless times. They're breathless on account of infected lungs and approaching to exceeding capacity hospital respirator rooms. These are machines that are meant to breathe for us. 
when our lungs are infected by one of the dual pandemics of this time. Even those classified as low risk are now considering long-term lung capacity damage. Might our breathlessness extend beyond this time of alert and alarm? Lord have mercy if it does. These are breathless times. As the most recent and, and merciful Lord, hopefully the last black man dies under the knee of a policeman, our country is awakened to the second pandemic, the plight of our black neighbors in George Floyd's death while crying out, I can't breathe. And that was an echo of Eric Garner before him. And it opened us up to the breathlessness that is more common than we allow ourselves to know. It's more insidious and it's more subtle than we even have imagines, imaginations or attention spans to continue to investigate and to interrogate. These are breathless times that we're living in. But our creed reminds us that breath, that God's breath is credible in these incredible breathless times. We believe in the Holy Spirit and that is as much an article of fact as it is in faith. The same spirit that hovered over the depths in creation now hovers over this sin-riven world that is poised for new creation. After Noah's flood, that flood pandemic, the spirit brooded in the form of a dove and brought forth the tangible sign of the olive branch, a preliminary, it is finished, a sign of shalom, a sign that it's time for new life. This is the spirit, as Roman 8 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in each of us to make us alive to God in Christ in this world. So God has breathed and continues to breathe on us even in these breathless times. In our time together feasting on this word, I just want to trace some of the movements of the spirit. Uh, I, want to, I want to explore the text that Leslie just read and, and I'm going to use a few of the ideas of one of my teachers, Jeremy Begbie, that we need to trace out some of these movements, at least the outside contours of them, because the spirit is always tricky. The spirit doesn't like to be the center of the conversation. The spirit is always other-centered and deferential and pointing and equipping and empowering. One writer calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity, but don't confuse shyness for weakness or disinterest. This gentle speaker tells the truth in nothing but the truth. So my thinking is that once you get some of these moves down, that you'll be able to know what we're looking for and it'll be able, uh, much easier for us to be able to see and enjoy and to participate. This is kind of like how a dance teacher teaches you some of the preliminary moves. The first two moves of the spirit create a sort of 
paradox. These, these two moves pull each other apart, but they're actually just pulling the canvas top so that we can see. These moves are that the spirit unifies and that the spirit particularizes. The spirit unifies and particularizes. This is a really complex relationship that has played out throughout scripture. Um, I'm thinking about the cautionary tale of Babel in Genesis. Do we remember that story? Uh, and then this comes to kind of fruition in the Pentecost story in Acts 2. You see, Babel is a tale of humanity getting a little too excited about our own potential and greatness. Since we are all made in the image of God, we each and all of us bear a certain kind of like sub-divinity. It, it, it makes us so beautiful and so powerful, maybe too beautiful and too powerful for our own good. And in the Babel story, humankind replicated the essential error of Eden by trying to surpass or dispense with our relationship, our dependence on God. We, we forgot our own createdness in favor of infinite creativity. We forgot that we are creatures and wanted to be the creator. And then in Babel, instead of a garden, the new setting is a city. This, this city building is the project. Humans attempt to build a tower, not just to heaven, that's not ambitious enough, but past heaven. The hubris of this tale would make Icarus blush. So God sees this and scatters the would-be builders for their own sake, confuses their languages, and this halts the building project. They can no longer communicate with each other enough to build well. The result is disunity, and we still feel some of the consequences of this disunity today. So that's Babel. Flash forward, flip way forward in your Bibles, to the scene in Acts 2 in which the spirit comes seemingly to undo the fracture of Babel. We might expect this multilingual crowd in Acts 2 to be put back together a la Humpty Dumpty's men. But no, the spirit has other ideas. The spirit's healing move is not just to unify the crowd in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus, but also to reaffirm their particularities. You see how this comes about is that they now don't speak one language, but rather each of them speaks their own language and they understand. They neither gained a new tongue, nor did they lose their mother tongue. Instead, the spirit gives them understanding with and for each other. It wasn't so much that their mouths were touched by the spirit, but that their ears and their minds and their hearts and their bodies would be touched by the spirit. This is so important for how we might imagine the spirit to continue to move. In these breathless times like these, it's tempting to want the tension to just immediately and automatically resolve and for the pieces to start to fit together into something more unified and coherent. Oftentimes, the way we imagine this or do this operates in some sort of like zero-sum way. 
like uh, the pieces can only fit together one way. Uh, you see this in things like if we'd all just speak English, we would be on the same page. Or if they would just play by, quote, the rules, things wouldn't be so bad or so dangerous. This is not the logic of the spirit. This is the logic of some sort of whiteness. We see how our history does this over and over and repeats this and mutates this in, in various ways. Like our, our dollar bill and our, our coins bear this noble ambition of e pluribus unum, out of many one. That is the hope and it's, it's a really good hope, but we look around in our country, uh, even as we just celebrated a national birthday and we don't see uh, this sort of unity. We don't see the, and we don't feel even personally the ability to uh, affirm these particularities in a, in a way that is dignifying. There are also less noble versions of this, like separate but equal schools and segregated water fountains. These, again, are negotiations between unity and diversity. Uh, these are, of course, ways that we get that unity and diversity uh, grossly wrong. But the spirit is the one who holds the key. You see, if your life is hidden with Christ and you are, quote, putting on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, you are being conformed to an image that is not dominated by any one identity. The Colossians text today says, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all things, in all people. The work of the Spirit is to bring about this perfect bond of unity so that the peace of Christ must control your hearts and it is a peace to which you are called in one body. This one body is a renewed mosaic image of Christ, who is holding all things together and working to renew each one of these identities, not erasing any of them. The, the scripture goes on to say, therefore, as God's choice people, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do these fruits of the spirit sound like the sort of things you'd need if there is perfect perfect homogeneity in the body of Christ? Do you need compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience if there is no difference? I don't think so. But there's possibility in the spirit. The spirit breathes unity and plurality. Unity amidst plurality. Unity through plurality. After all, Revelation 5 gives us a beautiful, if not a little trippy picture of the future of the church of all nations. Panta ta ethne, all of the nations, all of the people groups. It says, they sang a new song saying, quote, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with the blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is a great counter image for all of the 
uh, American imperial images that we encountered yesterday and all the, the pride for our great nation, that at, in the end there will be uh, a multinational, multi-ethnic gathering around the, the throne without any of these nations being privileged more than the other. If this life of diverse unity by the Spirit is, is, are the first two moves that the Spirit might unify and might um, uh, particularize or diversify, the next move of the Spirit, and it's good to keep in mind these moves of the Spirit aren't sequential. They don't happen in a particular order. But they kind of are woven and happen all at the same time, or there are certain times when some of these moves might be more important for us to learn. The next move of the Spirit is that the Spirit opens out. We've often joked that Oak Church is a friendly group of introverts. I think that's still true even via Zoom and maybe even more. Like the mute button is so masterful in the hands of friendly introverts. But save your gasp, my introvert friends. This opening out move of the Spirit might, we might say it a different way that the Spirit extroverts us. The Spirit extroverts us. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that our personalities, where we draw energy from, will necessarily be changed by the Spirit. It might. But that our focus and our attention will be changed by the Spirit. When the Spirit extroverts us, our focus and attention points outward rather than inward. It's like the song that we opened up with today. Uh, open up. May, may your love cause us to open up. Rather than people turned in on ourselves, the Spirit opens us up and opens us out to God in the world that God has created and is recreating even now. The Spirit is not a spirit of navel gazing, but rather the spirit of a posture of other considering and of praise. Our passage today has this vice list, which is really common in Paul's letters and talks about these vices, anger and rage and malice and slander and bad language. These are the ways that you lived when you were alive to those things. And then he talks about lying to each other. Paul entreats them to take off the old and to put on the new. Notice that all of these vices close down rather than open out. They're like the, all these vices uh, go towards the narrow end of the cone rather than opening out to the wide end of the cone. How could they be of the spirit if they closed down? Like anger, for one, is, is past-oriented and often fear-laced. Rage is going to end this once and for all, and it's destructive rather than constructive. And malice is ill-intended. It tries to stack the deck up for an outcome that either wins or wounds. Slander tries to make others pick sides in a one-winner game. And bad language, bad language is the vocabulary of scarcity. It's, it's not language of wonder and respect and praise. And then lying to each other. I think each other might be the more important word than the verb lying because it means that it actually is possible to coexist and to interact with each other in a closed down way rather than an opened out way. But the spirit takes this old way and kills it off. The spirit has sprayed roundup on those weeds so that something 
impossibly beautiful can grow instead in the truth, in the light. Since Christ died for us, we have been crucified in that death. And since Jesus was raised by the Father and the Spirit, we too are raised in new life, a life that can grow, a posture that tilts out from being turned in on ourselves and what we need, what would make us look and feel better. That fist that was once clenched in anger, malice, and rage is now opened up to the work of serving God and each other to the possibility of being wounded, yes, but also to the possibility of working healing. So when we say that the spirit extroverts us, it refits us for relationship. While we often think of extroverts as anything but subtle, the extroverted spirit is so adept at pointing us to Christ and opening us out to the love of God, we hardly ever even recognize her. So take heart, fellow introverts. If the Spirit is opening you out, you will not be put in the center of attention. But you will also be challenged and stretched to to be called towards other people. You'll be called to put your attentiveness to work, not for your own good, but so that someone else might experience the love and life of God through you. In fact, some of the more Trinitarian moments in Scripture are those which explicitly speak of the Father and the Son, but you don't really hear about the Spirit. The Father and Son are foregrounded, and the Spirit is doing the backlighting in our passage. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. The name of Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. What is that if not an overwhelming statement of the spirit-led life? If you want to grow in your spirituality, give thanks to God God the Father through Jesus and do everything in speech or in action in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is what it means to walk in the spirit. I think of, uh, when I think of of what a spirit extrovert is and looks like, um, this past week I had a chance to talk with a, a friend uh, I shared with y'all, one of my good friends, Father Mike Boone, uh, passed away suddenly last month. And, and this past week, I was finally in a place where I could talk with a mutual friend about him. And we just told stories and, and remembered him well. And, and it, it's amazing when you talk to someone and you start to hear some of your own thoughts back to you and some of your own memories that were independent of yours, uh, but are really common. And what my friend and I uh, both came to kind of independently, but together was that uh, one of the things that we loved about Mike and will miss deeply about Mike and the world will miss about Mike is that uh, my friend said, whenever you were around Mike, he made you feel like you were smarter and uh, funnier and better and, and just like uh, a better person than you actually are or that you actually thought you were. And and he was talking about things that uh, parts of, of his relationship with Mike that I didn't even share, but I felt that exact same feeling and uh, came down to like, that's exactly the mark of a person whom the spirit of the living God is working in, that they, they somehow make you feel more than you actually are. Um, even in these breathless times, The breath of God is giving you a voice to amplify others. 
the breath of God is filling your chest that you might make and hold space for others to be bigger and better and nearer to God than they might be on their own. This is the work of the extroverting spirit. The, the final two moves, at least the final two that we'll talk about today, they kind of go together because they both deal with time and timing. The spirit previews and the spirit plays jazz. The spirit previews and the spirit plays jazz. When we say that the spirit previews, it means not only that the spirit brings about fruit, some of these are well-documented, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but also the spirit brings first fruits. Those fruits that arrive ahead of time and that were pulled into a future and given just enough taste to keep us wanting more, needing more, being more. The spirit has us as future people living ahead of time because we share the resurrecting spirit. Our lives have a resurrection flavor to them too. Even as we don't experience the whole of that resurrection now. So when we read scripture, like what Justin read from Ezekiel, we are given life by this previewing spirit. Even now when we feel like a valley of dry bones, separated, dry, dead, and when we can't imagine otherwise, even now the previewing spirit is giving us new and eternal life. And when we say that the spirit plays jazz, in other words, the spirit improvises. Improvisation only comes with the hard work of staying in time and learning the scales, the way things work, developing a muscle memory, a competency and a confidence. In this way, the spirit's work of improvisation is always consistent with the nature of a God who often surprises us by showing us how God relates to us in new ways. The spirit is ever adaptive and responsive and calls us into the skilled and trusting jazz terrain. The spirit jazz is the factor which allows God to make promises and to keep promises in ways that still surprise us. God promises us over and over, and even as God fulfills those promises, we're surprised at when and how it happens, who it's happening through. The scales are the everyday, boring, and unspectacular actions of fidelity, which we perform so that we're able to then shift and change and make slight variations on a theme and respond to what God is doing and where God is going. I love this picture that you're looking right now is, is uh, called the Sugar Shack, and it's uh, from a Durham artist, Ernie Barnes. And I love how, you know, this is a, a jazz club, but I love that how similar in the relationship this picture of the Sugar Shack is with some of Ernie Barnes's other uh, artwork. This is called Friendship Baptist. We see um, that the spirit truly is a spirit of jazz. This is a spirit that improvises using also the rules of improv comedy, and that's never closing down, but always saying yes and 
going back to the uh, scripture narrative, the story of Babel, in, in kind of uh, tracing uh, the Spirit's movement from beginning to end, I, I think we see this in the way uh, scripture shows our beginnings and our end. Our beginning is in the Garden of Eden, and our end um, is neither in a garden, turning the clocks back to Eden, nor in a city, uh, the way that Babel was being built out of pride and hubris. But actually the end, the Revelation 21 and 22 end, comes in a garden city. This is not an either a garden nor a city, but it's a yes and garden city. It's it's a beautiful imaginative way to see uh, where we're going together. And I think it's particularly wonderful in this election year that we're in. And we see and we feel all of these divides between rural and urban people. And there's ideological divides and there's divides in way of life. And, and, and we see that's, that scripture in our story and that the way the spirit is moving us towards our God-appointed end neither chooses some sort of, of uh, rural conservative way or some progressive urban way, but actually somehow unifies and creates something completely new, this garden city uh, where something verdant and lively can grow in the presence of God. In our letter to the Colossians, Paul slams his point home. And this is in beautiful, surprising, spirit-led twist this part of the letter ends and he says, the word of God must live in you richly and you will teach and warn each other with all wisdom. And he says, by singing songs, psalms, hymns, and songs of the spirit, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do in speech or in action, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. There is something so wonderful about the conclusion of this long list of what our hidden and plain sight life in Christ looks like. Having the not so practical application of teaching and warning each other corporately in song. He's not, if, if Paul is writing a, a guidebook for how we are to be together, the fact that that guidebook, that handbook includes singing is sort of insane if, if you're really bent on efficiency and, and consistency. But there's something about this singing that is special because in singing, you not only have to sing well, but you have to listen to others. You have to stay on pace and on key. The singing is the, the way and the end. It's the journey and the destination. Singing requires us to be uh, more than just in our heads. It also requires our breath, something like the spirit that the spirit is super keen on. It requires our bodies, our diaphragm and our lungs and our windpipe and our larynx and our nose and our mouth. Singing requires our emotions. While it's possible to sing angry, malicious songs, it's far more fun to sing songs of gratitude together. And in singing, our practice makes us perfect in Christ. Not pitch perfect, but complete, full and fulfilled. 
it makes us so complete and full that it spills out into whatever else we do in word and in deed. So even in these breathless times, the spirit is previewing resurrection in healing in performing hope, even when that hope, like Polly Murray wrote, that when that hope sounds like a song in a weary throat, the spirit is previewing and performing hope. I pray that Oak Church might continue to be a place for these moves of this unifying, particularizing, extroverting, previewing, jazz-playing spirit to sync us up so deeply with what God is doing in our world that we won't miss it. We will join with God in bringing this abundance and surprise and novelty and unpredictability, even in the midst of and out of the order and the disorder that's already in this world. That we might not shy away from it, but we might lean into it. That we might experience it together in truth and love in forgiveness together. You all pray with me. Lord Jesus, in that, in those words of Ezekiel, we pray that by your spirit, you might open our graves and open up all the dead staleness within them. That you might Put your breath in us that we might live. Lord, plant us on fertile ground so that we might know that you are the Lord. So that we might know you, Lord. Lord, help us work with your spirit even as we're confused, even as we're surprised. Lord, we pray that you Put your breath into this breathless world. We thank you for that breath. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.